COVID-19. Oh, we need a vaccine at this moment. It means everything. Please wear your mask and stay six feet back. Total shutdown. COVID-19. From a really expensive restaurant on West 6th Street, it's two middle-aged men in Cleveland, featuring Cleveland food critic Doug Trattner. And now, a pair of loud speakers, Ted Klopp and Ken Dworsen. Ted, we're approaching episode 25. This is epic. Little did we think that we'd make it this far, let alone get to 25 episodes. Ken Dworsnick, Ted Klopp, bringing you more goofiness, laughter, and an opportunity for us to talk to one another. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Good. Coming up, we have the final presidential debate this week in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. I believe there's a couple different topics that are going to be talked about. I think people will be interested for this. Oh, go ahead. Do you have the topics? Oh, I do. Okay. Um, We'll be fighting COVID-19. We've been doing that for a long time. Yep. We'll have American families of the race in America, climate change, national security, and leadership. These sound like National Geographic documentaries, don't they? They really do. It's something you could probably see on PBS or on the Disney Channel. So. Now, here's a question that I have. Those topics, nothing wrong with those topics, but no. you know, if we're going to be topical in the last couple of weeks, all these emails and whatnot have come out about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Apparently, we're not talking about that. No, and information has come out that supposedly President Trump owes hundreds of million dollars in taxes. And I don't see that on the list either. No, little, that didn't make the list. But no. I guess specific I topics on both sides, basically both of them said, we're not going to talk about this. Well, it is a public service. I took the time and I have connected up a big, long microphone right there to Nashville, Tennessee, where that debate's going to be tomorrow night. I'm going to turn it on. I think both candidates are preparing. And I think we can listen in. I'm hoping that the debate will be a little more organized, calm, civil, that kind of thing. So let's listen and see. Let me turn on the microphone and see what we can. I mean, I don't think that's what we're looking for. No, it's not. Oh, well. We tried. Well, you were talking about fighting COVID-19, and of course, COVID-19 is the premise upon which this show was put together some 25 episodes ago. Yep, this is the basis for it, obviously, to try to get people to not think about COVID-19. But I, I know, Ted, I was thinking about this. I don't know what your thoughts are. It'd be great if we can give people an idea of where things are at with COVID-19, the numbers are down or up or anything like that. Oh, what? Hold on. Let me I wonder if we could do something like that. I think I have. Yes. Hold on. Okay. All right. I have, I have connected because again, public service, I have connected up. We now have a COVID meter that we can refer to weekly to find out cases up, cases down. Where are we now? Do you want this to be here in Cuyahoga County, do you want this to be Ohio or do you want this to be across the country? I would probably say, knowing what our 
listeners are looking for. We are two middle-aged men in Cleveland, and we are focusing on the Cleveland area for the most part. So I would probably say Cuyahoga County is my guess. Cuyahoga County. That's the county that we're in. All right, let me punch a couple things in here. And, okay, we're ready. This is the COVID meter, the two middle-aged men in Cleveland COVID meter. Here we go. Oh, boy. Not good. Not what we're looking for. No, it's not. Well, coming up on the show, Ken, I know we're going to talk about one of your favorite topics. It's either eating or drinking. Well, food. Perfect. Cleveland food critic Doug Tratner is going to join us. We're going to talk to him. We're also going to find out about some hidden items at an airport that were found. We'll tell you where they were hidden. Some gold was found in an airport. Oh, boy. And I'll tell you where it was hidden in Klopp's clips. So we've got all that and much, much more coming up. It's time for Where'd That Come From? We take a well-known expression and give you its history. This week, we look at the phrase, cat got your tongue? Two possible origins for this one. The English Navy used to use a whip called cat nine tails for flogging. The pain was so severe that it caused the victim to keep quiet for a long time. Another possible source could be from ancient Egypt, where liars and blasphemers' tongues were cut out and fed to the cats. Whichever it is, now you have a better idea of where it came from. Blah blah blah. 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 Our guest today is a New York Times best-selling author. He is also a well-known food critic in Cleveland and across the country. He's written several books. He is from Cleveland, now lives in Cleveland Heights with his wife, two dogs, and six chickens. With that in mind, let's welcome Doug Tratner. Thanks for your time, Doug, and food critic in the Cleveland area. I know you've written books with chefs. How does one affect the other, or do they? When you are writing books with, like, Michael Simon, I know you've written some books. Does one affect the other? You know, that's a really good question because I started uh, writing about all restaurants in Cleveland in 2001, so almost 20 years ago as a dining editor, as a restaurant critic, uh, your job obviously is to is to cover everybody and cover everybody equally. It wasn't until about 2008 that I started working with Mike Simon when he approached me to um, help him write Carnivore. And from that point on, he's essentially my boss, literally paying me money so uh, I could no longer cover him in an independent way and, and therefore have stopped. And so you won't see any restaurant reviews from me about his places. I might write a tidbit here and there about something, but if you look back at when Mabel's opened, I, I didn't review it. We had our other longtime critic, Elaine, step in for that one. And, and that's the only local chef I work on with books. So uh, that's how that relationship goes. Doug, give us an idea. So for instance, you're going to step into a restaurant for the first time. You've heard about it or, you know, you were given information about it. Talk about some of the things that you go through when you step into the restaurant, when you order your food, the service and all that. Talk about how that whole process goes and then how you come up with your critique. It's interesting because that has, like everything, been shifting 
for 20 years. And when I started, you know, I, I learned from the best, the old school critics who did it the right way, doing it anonymously, eating there twice, not making reservations in your own name, ordering a bunch of food, uh, always too much food, and letting that food digest and your thoughts and opinions digest over a period of time, often two weeks, three weeks before these stories came out. And that has shifted for everybody else, but it hadn't shifted for me until very recently. So uh, Yelpers, bloggers, those folks who are going in there contemporaneously reviewing the food, taking pictures of themselves with the food, announcing themselves, that's not my style, it's never been my style. But that's changed. COVID and, and the pandemic has changed the way I do my job and the way my boss expects me to do my job. And so we're still trying to figure all that out. This summer, I've been able to review restaurants by eating outside and doing so safely. We'll see what happens next. Reviewing takeout food is an option and it is a changing, shifting role for a dining critic in this world. But up until COVID, my game plan was always eat there twice order a lot of food, try to see what they are really aiming to do as a restaurant. So it's not judge everybody with the same scale. It's what are, what are you trying to do and, and are you doing it well? And you know, my job as a critic to explain to the reader who I'm writing for, let them know what this restaurant is all about, what they can expect by eating there and if it's right for them. That's not to say it's right for everybody or wrong for everybody, but give them a good idea of what they're going to get when they go there. You talked about the effect that COVID has had on your ability to get into places to review food. What effect has social media had on your job or how has it changed or has it changed? I'm guessing it has. It has changed. And, you know, it's funny. I wrote a story a few years back about my menu collection, which is uh, over a thousand menus that I've stolen, pilfered and and pinched over the years. Because like I said, when I started doing this, there was no uh, social media. If I wanted to remember what was on the menu, I either had to take a picture of it or or steal it. I preferred stealing it. And so I have a pretty large collection and I'm known for for stealing menus. But back then, a lot of restaurants didn't have websites. So you couldn't even look two weeks later when I was running the the review, how much something cost, what else was on the menu, you know, these kind of broader things. Obviously, social media has changed everything. It makes my life easier because most places have websites. They have pictures of their food. It, It helps me remember. Smartphones help me do my job by taking pictures of my own food. So I uh, remind myself weeks later what what it was and what was on the plate garnish wise. I also take notes, but it's also you know as much as I hate to say it, it's lessened the role of a restaurant critic. You know if I'm going to be honest, uh, my value as a an arbiter is watered down by just the, the the sheer number of voices that are out there now. And great social media marketers, and there are many of them, can do a really good job promoting a restaurant. Uh, but their job is to promote a restaurant. My job is to evaluate it. Doug, they say that Cleveland itself, you have all these different really good restaurants. And obviously compared to Chicago and things like that, it's a much smaller area. In your opinion, do you feel as though the Cleveland area, when people talk about wonderful restaurants and being a foodie area and things like that, do you find that to be true? It is true. I mean, I wouldn't be doing my job anymore if it wasn't true. When I first started, you know, it's funny. I got a lot of funny comments from friends who didn't live in Cleveland. And when I told them I was a restaurant critic in Cleveland, you know, you could imagine the jokes. I told many of them myself. And it was very difficult at the time to, to write about a lot of great restaurants and to do so weekly. I mean, we're talking about a weekly restaurant review. It's funny, I go back and look at one of the first top 50 restaurants I ever had to compile. We do a lot of those top lists. And it's shameful some of the restaurants that I had to put in there just to fill out 50 restaurants. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, you sure. know, they were, they were shoehorned in there. But 
Cleveland, like a lot of cities, you know, started evolving and a lot of great chef driven restaurants. And then you have a Michael Simon who comes home from New York, opens a restaurant, and then he trains chefs and those chefs go out and they open new restaurants and they train chefs and they go out and they open new restaurants. And surprising, a lot of those people stayed here in Cleveland. They didn't go back to New York or Chicago or San Francisco. Those cities got too expensive. They were priced out of those cities. Cleveland's a great place to raise a family. So they stayed here. And so we were lucky. You know, we had great chefs like Paul Manillo and Zach Brule and Sergio Avramov, all those people who were here already. We were lucky to have that talent here. And they spun off a lot of great talent. And that turned into you know, a a fantastic landscape of of independent restaurants. Chains came here, but you know, I think our independent restaurants have always put up a great fight. Our neighborhood restaurants, neighborhoods around here are built around great restaurants. So I think we're, we're seeing another titanic shift in dining these days with the fast casual restaurants. The pandemic will push it even further towards that. Full service dining, fine dining is definitely vanishing slowly. So if we wanted to just get some best of the best, in your opinion, you mentioned fast, casual dining, you mentioned fine dining, just a a quick top of the list. If I'm looking for fine dining, what's your suggestion? What's the top place to go? If I'm looking for casual, but great food, what do you suggest? You know, let's start with the casual because it's just, you know, that's what everyone's talking about these days. They want to get in, they want to get out, right? And they want to be able to order online. And that's something that, you know, you didn't used to be able to do from your phone order, you know, take a look at the menu and have it waiting for you when you get there. I think Van Aken is doing a great job with their market hall right now, where we have an option to, to go to On The Rise or Banter. They have a couple of my favorites, you know, right there. But I have to throw my vote to Lock, Stock & Brisket in that same market hall. Anthony is doing just such a great job. I think he really gets the fast casual concept. He is a chef who knows quality preparation. So you're getting fine dining style foods at a great, great price and very efficient. His, his fried chicken sandwiches are famous. His brisket is famous. Uh, if you haven't been there, uh, give it a shot. On the other end of the spectrum, you know, we just celebrated, my wife and I, 15 years married. And the first place we think of is either Fire, which we can no longer go to, unfortunately, or Albatross over there. Zach Brule always does a fantastic job at all his places, but really that's his flagship restaurant. You're gonna have the best servers, the best managers, the best sommeliers, the best cheese. You, you can't go wrong, especially if you can sneak into the patio. Oh, absolutely. I, I've had the opportunity to go there. It is an amazing meal. Is there ever been a time where any place in Cleveland you've gone to and you're like, I don't know what this place is going to be like, and maybe from the outside or from the decor or something like that, but then you sat down and had the food and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I have, you know, I'm very good at uh, kind of guessing the, the future of a restaurant. There are many restaurants where I will go to and I will have such a poor experience and know that they're really just not going to make it. Just kind of eat that review. I don't even write it. And sure enough, they close, you know, within six months. I've also had the, the complete opposite experience where you go to a place and you're like, I, you know, I don't know if they're going to make it. And and 10 years later, they're still chugging along and doing it. And it's never been about what my personal tastes are because that's irrelevant to, to what, what I'm doing. I think a lot of places that find a niche and serve their clientele, however small or big it is, they're going to do a good job, but they really get their customer. You know, there's a place around the corner from me called Gigi's where, you know, it's, it's personally, it's not for me. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not my kind of place, but they are doing a killer job. Their clientele loves them. They walk to them, they support them. And they're probably approaching, I don't know, 10 years in a very unlikely spot, a very unlikely business model, but doing a great job. So, Doug, you mentioned that when you go into a place to critique it, 
you eat there twice. And when you go in each time, you order a lot of food, a lot of different food. So I'm curious, how are you not the Michelin man? How are you not, <laughs> do you, do you just take one bite of each item or how does that, cause you're, I mean, no. we can see you here when we interview you and you're a, a relatively thin guy. Yeah. Well, I'm tall, so it spreads out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky. You know, I, I don't work out a lot. I do walk and exercise and garden. And I, I mean, I'm an active person. I don't go to the gym. But I, you know, I'm lucky that I have good genes and I've managed to uh, escape the Michelin man uh, physique. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, obviously, you've been to different areas and things like that. And you see the different food scene. Do you feel as though in the Cleveland area, there's like I don't know, a type of food or a type of restaurant or anything like that that you've seen in different areas that you feel as though would be somewhat successful here in, in the Cleveland area? Well, we've always kind of been a little behind, behind the times. I remember when we didn't have any great barbecue restaurants. I know people will, will skewer me because we've always had good barbecue restaurants, but they were not the type of barbecue restaurants that I drooled for, the Texas-style barbecue restaurants with the brisket and the, and the slow smoke stuff. And I pined for it and then we got it and then we got more of it. And it came in, it came in a wave, Simon and, and proper pig and barbecue and pharma and Woodstock. I and mean, these all came within a few years of each other. Um, so food is trendy. It always has been. And then um, Korean barbecue was always a, a favorite of mine that we would try in other cities and didn't have, but we had one here and then we got more and they're doing a good job. You know, it's a very fun communal thing. Ethiopian food, the same thing. We've had one for 30 years. Now we have two, but I think we have pretty much every major food group. We just don't have a lot of choice mm-hmm. when it comes to those individual cuisines. And I think choice is always a good thing. When I go to New York, there's, there's few things there that I can't get here. They just have a lot more choices and a lot more places to do it. Ramen was another trend that we really didn't have. And, and now we do. And so, yeah, I think we're not missing anything that I can really think of. So I, m- I mentioned in your bio that you have some dogs and then you have chickens. There's not a lot of folks that have chickens as pets. So they're, they're not our pets. Okay. <laughs> Don't let them hear you that because <laughs> when they stop laying, they're learn pretty quickly. They're not pets. Um <laughs> I so they don't in, have names? Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, one has a name. So when we were first allowed to get chickens in Cleveland Heights, which is where I live, um, in about 2012, we were one of the first families to do so. And that first group of four chickens we did name, barbecue, mild, medium, spicy, uh, chicken wing flavors. Um, and uh, after that, we never named them because, uh, first of all, they're hard to tell apart. And second of all, they don't last forever. Chickens begin laying about seven months old and they'll lay really well for about a year and a half, two years, three years, and they really slow down. And if you can only have so many chickens in a small uh, yard, what's the point of keeping them? So we send them to the farm or uh, what my friend likes to call freezer camp. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you always cycle in a few new ones every year. That way you've always got eggs. And that's the only reason we have them is for the fresh eggs. And we haven't bought eggs in probably, uh, well, since 2012, really. So let me, let me make some notes here. Chickens before allowed, steals menus. Okay, I'm getting, great, I, I got, I got a list here. <laughs> okay, well, very interesting. Uh, all right, well, can we get you to stick around to play uh, a little game time with us? You got it. Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one for a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. 
There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. A symbol of hope and sanity in an otherwise crazed society, Klops Clips tries to make sense of it all as we bring you the big news of the week. And Ken, here's where we start. For the sixth year in a row, the rattiest city in the U.S. is Chicago. Oh. Orkin, the pest control people, they rank cities based on the number of new rodent treatments each year to get the list. Cleveland, not in the top ten. Nice. Good work. Rounding out the top ten, L.A., New York, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Detroit, Philly, Baltimore, Denver, and Minneapolis. Now, I know you're dealing with the mouse problem. Have you had to ever deal with rats? No. Oh, God, don't. No, those are brutal, man. Absolutely brutal. Scary animals, too. The long tails. Ugh, no thanks. They can stay in Chicago. Yeah. We don't I, need them. I noticed Detroit on the list there. They're the second most impoverished city, and they're in the top ten for rattiest city. It's not a good run they're, for my friends up north. No, yeah, it's they're, not. They're, they're ranking at all the wrong ratings. Correct. All right. Well, breakfast meat fans can now get the scent of sizzling pork anytime they put on a face mask. Hormel is using the latest in bacon smell technology to create a black label breathable bacon mask. You like bacon, Ken? I do. I really do. I'm not sure if I want it as a mask, but yeah, I like bacon. Well, you can get a free one by entering at breathable bacon. Dot com breathablebacon.com Hormel will give the masks away while supplies last or until October 28th, so a week from now. Would so, you wear a breathable bacon mask? Breathable bacon mask. Now, what Would I you want wear to know that? is what if you're in the elevator with somebody who doesn't like bacon? Can they smell the bacon as well? That's a great question. I don't know how strong of an odor that mask gives. That's, that'd be interesting. Maybe it's worth getting one, and we'll try it out. What do you think? We, Let's do we, it. We should register. The home of a Brazilian senator was raided last week as part of an investigation into the misuse of COVID-19 response funding. Sources tell Brazilian media that during the raid, Senator Chico Rodriguez was caught hiding money between his cheeks. Oh, boy. These are not the cheeks on his face. No word on how much money he was hiding. His office has not commented on that supposed discovery. I haven't. <laughs> I imagine they haven't. Yeah. I'm not sure why he's hiding the money there. How about a desk drawer? 
Yeah. How about that? That'd be easier. That would be easier. You're the spokesman for him. What, what would you possibly say about that? Exactly. This can be a sticky situation. Very stinky. Airport security in India spotted a man walking oddly. Their investigation struck gold. They mined a stash of about two pounds of gold bullion that the suspect concealed by <clears throat> shoving it into his rectum. <laughs> the passenger was trying to avoid paying an 18% tax on the gold. The gold is worth about 60 grand in U.S. dollars, so the tax would be about $11,000. Seems like that's a theme this week. Yeah. When you want to hide something, you know where to put it. Did you dodge him? No, I wrecked him. <laughs> a five-year-old Scottish girl wanted to make sure she could sanitize her hands at school. So the girl took what she thought was a small sanitizer bottle to school with her. It was not sanitizer. Oh, boy. Instead, it turned out to be her mother's adult lubricant. Mom discovered her daughter took it to school when she found it in her daughter's coat. Her daughter told mom that she liked it because it, quote, felt hot and smooth. <clears throat> her daughter apparently also used it to sanitize some friends' hands at school. What is, what is going on? We've had many weeks of stories like this from people. If you have certain items that are going to be used for not normal things, please put them away, locked up, hidden, so others don't find it. You have your daughter running around thinking she's using hand sanitizer, okay? I'm just going <laughs> to leave it at this. I would be embarrassed. I really don't know <laughs> what you're doing. I can imagine there had to be some calls from some other parents. That is, hot uh, smooth. That's classic, Ted. That is that's absolutely uh, classic. It seems to me there are a few other things you could describe that way. but There, there certainly is. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Wow. All right. Well, we will sanitize up here as we close out this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Ted Klopp here for Westminster AV, offering custom audio-visual packages for all occasions, including business meetings, weddings, graduations, banquets, and more. So if you're looking to transform an in-person event to virtual, Westminster AV has a variety of solutions for you. Pharmaceutical companies hosting dinner events can find plenty of professional support from Westminster AV. No event too big nor too small. More information can be found by going to westminsterav.com or give them a call, 216-325-6960. Welcome back to Game Time. We're with Doug Tratner, a food critic, and he's going to compete against Ted Klopp today with a game called Who Am I? Basically, you're going to name a famous person, place, or thing from Cleveland, Ohio. I'll give you guys five clues. You can guess the person, place, or thing you believe it is. And after the five clues, I will have multiple choice. So if you have the answer after one of the clues, don't be afraid to blurt it out, and, and we'll go from there. And I know Ted has a wonderful prize for you, Doug. Yeah, sure. Now, let me just point out, if you have chosen as the answer Michael Simon, completely unfair, considering right. what Doug told us before. So 
I, I did not. You I will tell you. There's your one right. clue. There's a clue. The, the sixth right. clue. Yeah. It is not yeah. Michael Simon. So okay. I will tell you that. All right. Fair enough. All right. Clue number one. This person was born in 1956 and was raised in Cleveland and attended Kent State University. That is clue number one. Okay. Clue, clue number two. This person hosted a late night talk show from 1989 to 1994 and then from 2013 to 2014 our city of I think he got it he was very That's excited the first, about that I have to tell you Doug this is the first time I have won so See, I, and I here apologize. I, I, I thought it would be like a food-related question. <laughs> I was, I was going to go that route, but I'm thinking, you know what? I, I, I enjoy my buddy Ted. If I go with any chef outside of Michael Simon, he's not going to have a shot, and you know what. So yeah, there's right. no doubt. So, Well, Doug, thank you so much. Uh, what a pleasure. I guess one other question for you. You talked about some of the restaurants that you recommend. Is there any others recently that kind of come about that you've seen that you're like, hey, you guys got to check that out? I'm really eager to try a, a new restaurant in Little Italy. You don't, you don't see a lot of new restaurants opening up in Little Italy. This one's called Home Bistro. And um, he is a, a boomerang chef. He grew up here in uh, the Cleveland area, but has been working and living in Chicago for, I want to say, 10, 15 years. He recently came back home and opened home. So that's next on my list to try. And I'm eager to uh, check it out. And, you know, I'll uh, let you all know what, what my thoughts are. Hey, Doug, if folks want to read your work or if they want to get some of your books, can you tell us where we can follow your work or some of the names? You mentioned one of them, but what are some of the names of some of the books that you've written so we can uh, find them? Sure. So I uh, wrote the only comprehensive guidebook to Cleveland. Um, it's part of the Moon series. They do guidebooks throughout the world. Uh, I did the Moon Cleveland guidebook. We update it every couple of years. Boy, that next update's going to be a murder. <laughs> and just had our fifth cookbook with Michael Simon, uh, Fix It With Food. Very popular, um, as you've seen. And we're working on uh, another book. I'm sure he'll talk about that soon. Find me, uh, my website, just douglastratner.com. And I'm on Instagram, where I post a lot of great food and, and chicken pictures <laughs> and now RV pictures. Um, and that's just Doug Tratner. Okay. Awesome. All right, Doug. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and good eats, I guess. Is, is that how we should? Bon appetit is Julia. Bon appetit, of course. <laughs> See, I'm, Makes more sense. I, I, I'm doing the fast casual and <laughs> you're on the fine dining here. Okay. Well, that's Ken. Does that, does that line up about right? That sounds exactly correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's correct. All right, Doug. Well, thank you very much. You got it. Thanks, guys. A lot of fun. Oh, no, not a dad joke. How do you make a tissue dance? You put a little boogie in it. That joke was horrible. Dad, wrapping up another edition. What great information from our friend, Doug Tratner. And we mentioned this this last week. The big question is, will we be able to take our wives to some of the places that he mentioned? I'm starting to take up my collection, and I can't wait to, to watch my fiance eat a meal, and I'll just stare at her while I have my <laughs> bread and water. Would it be bad if I said I've not heard of any of these places? 
No, I don't think that's bad at all, to be honest with now, you. Now, my wife said she had heard of some of them. Yeah, I have. Actually, a couple I've actually been to. But uh, no, Doug was great. He's a very nice man. And uh, yeah. boy, to have somebody on our show that, who's, who's you know, written a book with Michael Simon, I thought that was, that was pretty impressive. A pretty New cool. York Times bestseller. Yes. Is on yes. our show. Okay. Yeah, great stuff. Big time. We don't mess around here. This is this is no, we don't. That's correct. Big, big, big people. Yeah. And by the way, who won the game, baby? You did. You got it done. You were excited. Now I Doug was. was upset, I think, a little bit because he was expecting something involving food. Hey, but unfortunately, I knew surprise. you had no chance when it came to that. So, and I mean, it didn't I, help when I scared the bejesus out of him by screaming. You really you did. Oh. He jumped. He jumped in his seat. Just looked at you like you had six heads. So it was great. <clears throat> Can we have some Facebook likes this week? Lou Marino. The captain. Mike Spencer. Christina Soprick. Emily Forgosh. And Karen J. All liked us on Facebook. If you would like to like us, you can do so on Facebook. If you'd like to interact with us, you can also do so on Instagram and Twitter. Both of those are two M-A-M-I-C-L-E. Now, the other thing you can do is leave us a voicemail. I talked about this last week. No one has yes. done this in a while. You just go to anchor.fm and you leave us a message right there. We'll get a notification and we'll put it on the show. No, I'd love to have a voicemail. Get your, uh, get your name out there, ask us a question. and Yeah. Uh, be fun. Yeah, that, that'd be great. Wait, you know what next week is, Ken? We're getting closer to Halloween. It is, it is the week of Halloween. You got it. Oh. So guess what we're going to do next week on the show? You're going to scare the living bejesus out of me. Well, I think I do that every week. But next week specifically, we're going to talk to a ghost hunter. Oh, that's outstanding. We're going to talk to a paranormal investigator, a legitimate ghost hunter, He's going to tell us about some of his experiences at some places that are supposedly haunted in the state of Ohio and anywhere else that he has investigated. That's outstanding. This will be cool. I'm, I'm actually pretty excited. I do think there's some paranormal stuff that happens at different places. And I know Greg Fedith will certainly give us information. He's done this for a long time. So yep. it's, you know, certainly nothing far-fetched or anything like that he's i believe written some books so it's it should be very interesting yeah i i am very excited to talk to him about places like franklin castle and the ohio state reformatory down in mansfield places like that we'll see and maybe some other places you know like the the amityville house i wonder if he's been there i don't know he's got quite a track record so we'll we'll talk to him next week hopefully he won't scare us Uh, i hope he's not bringing a ouija board no, absolutely Can you spell not. Ouija board? No, I can't. Okay. I know Thank it's spelled correctly, but I can't spell it for you. Thank you. I'm glad it's spelled correctly. All right, Ken. Well, until next week, let's tell everyone who we are. We are two middle-aged men in the fine town of Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV, custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.